under your word. So once again, we just pray that you would guide us, that you would prepare us for every good work as we move into this season that we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord. I pray, Father, as we take this time to truly examine this, that we would understand the magnitude of the love that you have displayed to us. And so, Father, I just pray that we would rejoice in that. I pray, Father, that we would reflect that to this dying world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and turn and greet your neighbor. Greetings. Neighbor. I have gotten a cold. My voice is not doing well, so we'll see how it goes. I have my Terry tea. She makes me this concoction. It's supposed to be good for my throat. I don't know if it, uh, if it helps or not, but after I drink enough, I don't really care. <laughs> I'll have to find out what she puts in it. <clears throat> We've been doing a series of preparation for this coming Easter season. We looked at the Psalms of the Cross for... I believe it was four weeks. Last week, we went through the book of Philemon as we followed through the pattern of the New Testament epistles that we're currently following. But we saw the theme was forgiveness. Now today, rather than our our next epistle that we're going to be getting into is the book of Hebrews. We'll be starting that the week after uh, Easter season. But I want to take this time today, rather than getting into a new book, but to continue on in that thought and preparation so that we would understand the magnitude of what truly did occur upon the cross. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. We'll be starting at verse 21, and today we're going to be looking at the doctrine of justification. It was upon the cross that God called us, or caused us to be justified in his sight. So we'll be looking at what that means. I'm not going to read through the scriptures as I usually do to start off just to save the voice. We have a service tonight that I'd like to get through as well. I have a computer on my desktop. We have a computer for presentation. We have a computer for the video ministry. We have a computer in the high school room. We have a computer in Sal's office. We have a computer up at the front. We've got quite a few computers. I've got computers at home. We've got computers coming out of our ears. And on all of those computers, we have something that runs behind the scenes because that malware, that sin, is out there. And so we've got that which runs behind the scenes, and I I, I never pay attention to it. I I, I never really notice that it's there, because what it does is it's hidden, but it's keeping the computer safe from that which would infect it. it. It's constantly paying attention. Every once in a while, it will make its presence known when there's an issue that comes up, and it deals with it. It'll tell you that that has occurred. And so I'm very mindful of it when it does happen, but as far as day-to-day, I just pay very little attention to it. Now, it's God's intent throughout the scriptures that one thought be consistently in a Christian's life, constantly in a Christian's life, running in the back of our minds, running in the back of our minds that we would understand and know in our lives 
in our previous life before we were born again, but even in our life now, God's constantly doing a work. He's constantly doing a work even behind the scenes. We don't always know the great or the vastness of the work that God does, but the one thing I do know is, is that God is constantly working. Now, the thought, it's the first four words of the Bible in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Now, in the beginning, God, even today, God, and in the future, God, at all times, God's there. All times, God's doing work. Now, just in my computer, that there's always some new virus. There's always some new threat that needs to be dealt with. In my life, it can be the same thing. I'm not talking about sickness so much, but I'm talking about just the sinful nature of mankind. I'm talking about my sinful nature. Yeah, it's been dealt with by the Lord without a doubt, but nonetheless, I still need the Lord to continue to move in my life. So when it says in the beginning, the idea was before time, before angels, before creation, before mankind, before sin, and the necessity for salvation, God. And what we have to know, what we have to understand in our Christian lives, God is previous. God is previous to everything in our lives. God is always before us, and we're always entering into what good thing God has prepared for us. And so when it comes to man, previous, well, previous in Romans chapter 3, we saw the magnitude of the sinful nature of mankind. This was you in an unsaved state. We were all there. This is all humanity. What the Apostle Paul has been doing, he's looking at the pagan, Romans chapter 1. He, he, he's looking at the Jew. He's looking at the religious. He, he's looking at <clears throat> this wide swath of humanity. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he finally comes to this conclusion in, in verse 10. And there is none righteous. There is none right in the sight of God. No, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who searches after God. Mankind may be searching after a God and make some kind of understanding, but there's no way that man apart from God is able to truly search after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. The idea who continuously does good. Even a rank heathen will do something good. Verse 13, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yes, you were rotten to the core. You were completely, we all were, we were completely apart from God and we had no desire within us to truly seek after him apart from him. We're told in Romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 20, now we know, now this is something we can look back and now we understand, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. What that means is, as you stand before a holy God, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. If you stand before a holy God, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the blood of the Lamb, you will stand before God with the knowledge of His holiness and the knowledge of how decrepit you truly are. And, and, and your, your, all the excuses that you had in the world, every rebuttal that has ever been given to the gospel, 
all the mouths will be stopped at that point because there will be a keen awareness of who God is and a keen awareness of who mankind is. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So mankind, mankind is lost apart from God and only able to grope for him in the dark, but never is he able to truly find God apart from God. The Apostle Paul He has hammered the lid shut on man's coffin, and he's about to lower the coffin into the grave. That's what he was doing in verses 10 through uh, 20. He'd brought up some possibilities, but now he's come to that point where this is the reality of the matter. Mankind has been laid in the coffin of his flesh. He's been laid in the coffin of his religion. He's been laid in the coffin of his own ways. And again, Paul was just making point after point, hammering nail after nail after nail. And now as the lid is firmly shut, he's prepared to lower it into the grave. Now know this. As we're here in chapter 3, if we had been studying verse by verse, we would know and understand that we're in the middle of a parenthetical thought. And what I mean by that is, is you can look at verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 18, and chapter 3, verse 20. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified in his sight, and for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so... It's been said that the master makes the rules for, for the wise men and the fools. And what I mean by that is you have to consider who's your, thought, or who's your master. If your master is pagan religion, if the master is the flesh, well, that's the rules that you're going to be living by. If your master is moral thought, if your master is religious thought, you're going to live your life according to those things. But without a relationship with God, it's going to do you absolutely no good. One day you will be found to be the fool. Even Jeremiah understood the concept in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised, all of humanity. And so God is saying, it's all about myself. And it's all about a relationship with me. Now back in Jeremiah's day, God's laying the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. So that when Messiah came upon the scene, that they would understand, that they would know who he is. That they would realize, here's the the fulfillment of the word of God. Here's one who's doing these mighty signs and wonders. Here's one who's being hung upon the cross in fulfillment of the scriptures, but also it ought not to surprise us, but here's the one who was raised from the dead on the third day, and now we know he's ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that we would understand the, the magnitude of what God has done for us. And so back to our picture of humanity about to be lowered into the grave, 
Well, just before he is lowered into the grave, you could hear the question being asked even through that nailed-down coffin door. Man cries out just as the multitudes cried out, just as the crowd cried out, just as the young, rich young ruler cried out, those listening to Peter cried out, Saul to Jesus as he cried out, the Philippian jailer cried out, what must we do to be saved? What must I do? Because I've tried everything. I've tried everything that seemed right to me and, and seemed right to so many other people. But it just, in the end, it just left me empty. And once again, there's still the knowledge that I'm condemned. Because everybody apart from God knows that there's going to be that day that they're going to have to pay that price. We were, looked at our study, or during our study in John, when we got to chapter 16, we saw that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, that they know they're a sinner, of righteousness, that they know that there's a God, and of judgment, that they know one day they're going to have to give an account of themselves. All the world, whether they want to admit it or not, knows that. That's the beauty that we have this solution. We have the way out. As they're in that coffin, as they're being lowered down into that ground, as they're crying out, what must I do to be saved? We have that. We have that answer. We have that answer. We have that way to be able to offer them eternal life. And that's what God uses. He uses us for those people who are being lowered into that grave. Every day that man is alive, it's one day closer to the bottom of that grave when that dirt is going to be thrown on and he will forever perish. What must I do? How can man be right or how can man be justified before a holy God? The oldest written book of the Bible is Job 9.2, and even Job considered that. But how can a man be righteous before God? Even the thinker back then considered those things. Well, again, we just saw in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that, well, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is simply the knowledge of sin. Because maybe the question would have been, well, tried all this, I tried my way, I've tried the ways of the philosophers, and still there was the knowledge of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and the condemnation was there, and the conviction was there. How about in the keeping of the law? Well, Jews thought they were kind of special because they had the law, but the problem is nobody can keep the law. And that's kind of the final nail on the coffin, because that's what was been given by God in order for mankind to be righteous. But the problem is nobody's able to do it, Nobody's able to keep it. And so, what man in that coffin, even though he cries out, he arrives at the point of despair. He arrives at realizing there's no hope. Everything, everything that I've ever worked towards, every thought, every philosophy that I've ever had, it turns out it's nothing but rubbish. It's nothing about rubbish and can do absolutely nothing for me in this particular predicament. The day that my father died... He was pushed aside in the hospital because he had cancer and they could do nothing for him. And I remember looking at him and thinking, all of his accomplishments, he's got enough money to live the rest of his life comfortably. All of that, nothing mattered. There was a man lying on a gurney and the only thing that he had was that that which mattered, which was Jesus Christ. And on the day of our deaths, we're all naked before God. None of our accomplishments matters. None of it matters. It's what did you do with Jesus Christ? What did you do with the Lord? And again, as we see our loved ones, as we see whoever it might be perishing, it's the same thing. 
And so as man cries out in total despair, it's as if, starting in verse 21, that God peels back the lid of the coffin and he offers his hand. And that's what he did. That's what he did 2,000 years ago, give or take. That's what he did on Mount Calvary. He peeled back the lid. He peeled back the lid that was going to seal us for all of eternity apart from him. And a hand peered in. And that hand was Jesus Christ. That whoever would grasp onto that hand would not perish, but have everlasting life. They would be delivered from death. They would be taken from that coffin. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Paul's making that point very clearly here, but he spoke in it in a different manner in the book of Ephesians that might give a little bit more clarification. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you he made alive. Why? Because you were dead in that coffin, and were dead in trespasses and sins. And what you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of God, or children of wrath, I'm sorry, just as the others. And then again, there's those two words, but God, but God. See, he who was working in the background has now come to the forefront in in Jesus Christ. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Even when we were in that coffin, he peeled the top back, he reached his hand in. So many times in the scriptures, that word but, it's one of God's greatest turning points in revealing how he deals with mankind. God, who has been working behind the scenes, now has come to the forefront, and there has been a change, a change in time that has resulted in a change of all history. Whether you're a believer here today or not, it's one thing you cannot deny. When Christ came into the world, history changed. Just look at your calendar. The way we keep our calendar changed. Beliefs of mankind changed. Israel under Roman domination, insignificant nation. Twelve guys set the world on its ear. You cannot deny the change that came and the power that existed through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just lends towards the truthfulness of me. So to paraphrase, you who are destined for the eternal grave have now hope because God has entered in to change your condition, to soothe your situation, and to position you for eternal paradise. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We have been adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, The doctrine of justification. What effect has this had or does continue to have and will have upon our lives? Well, first, because of justification, because you've been justified through Jesus Christ, we have gone from receiving wrath to receiving forgiveness. See the contrast of man's situations. There's those two bookend verses once again. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. 
So first, there was the wrath of God that was revealed. But because the wrath of God was revealed to mankind, the righteousness of God was revealed through Jesus Christ. So what is the truth that is suppressed in unrighteousness any way except for God's way? And so we have this doctrine of salvation, and it's really the reality of salvation, that we have gone from wrath to forgiveness. Again, go back to Adam and Eve this time, back in Genesis. Adam sins. And apparently, from what it says, he used to walk with God in the coolness of the day. That time was coming. Well, even back then, he's convicted. What's Adam convicted, even that first sin? He's convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's convicted he's a sin because he's realizing that there's this stain upon him. He probably can't theologically define it, but he does realize it. Righteousness, he understands the absolute purity of God because he's basked in the absolute purity of God. Matter of fact, before he sinned, he was absolute righteous as well, but now something's changed. And also, with Adam, there was the knowledge of judgment. How do you know that? Well, what did he do? When he sinned, it was time to walk with God in the cool of the day. He went and hid. He hid in the bushes. And even more than that, he and his wife, they sewed fig leaves together. And that's what man's way is. It's just bushes and fig leaves. We're trying to hide from God that which is so obvious to him. Now, what we're seeing here, this doctrine, for the purpose of man's justification, this has been God's plan from the beginning. What we've been, remember God is previous. If you're a born-again believer here today, you've entered into what God's been doing throughout the course of history. As a matter of fact, making it personal, for eternity past, God's been working towards that day of your salvation. And again, it's an amazing thing when you think about it. God's had you in his crosshairs from even before the foundation of the world. As you, Christ was upon that cross, you were there. At least the thought of you was there. God died on the cross, not to save mankind so much, but to save you, to save, again, our God. Our God is a very personal God. Secondly, doctrine of justification. Well, because of it, we have gone from being condemned to being saved. Verses 22 through 24. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Since Paul has condemned all of mankind apart from God, he now tells us that all mankind can be justified, can be justified, can be set right in the sight of God simply through faith. We're told here, any man that approaches God according to his own righteousness is going to receive condemnation because there is none righteous, no, not one. We're told here, any man that approaches God according to God's own righteousness, he will be justified. He will be saved. What does it mean to be justified? To be justified means that God looks at you just as he looks at himself. Now, this is a choice that God has made. But when he looks at you, he looks at you just as he looks at himself. Now, last Monday, I was here at the office in the afternoon. My wife called and said, what time are you going to be home? I told her. She goes, okay, that'll work because Chelsea and the boys are coming over. Chelsea and the boys, Chelsea's my daughter. The boys are Henry 
and Max, Henry, I don't know, he's like three and going on four. Max is about a year, somewhere around there. And they came over and we horsed around. Max came and sat on my lap and just had a really good time. The next day, my wife tells me, yeah, you know what? Chelsea called me today and the boys are pretty sick. It was about a day or two that I got pretty sick. I'll never have them over to my house again. <laughs> Their sin got upon me. No, I look at them. I look at them just as if they've never sinned. I've looked at them just as if they've never been sick or gotten me sick. Because you have this great love for, for your grandchildren. You have this great love for your, for your family. It doesn't matter. You know those things happen. There's nothing that they could do. It was just according to their nature. They got sick. They're a bunch of little human petri dishes is what they are. But they got sick. But you still bring them into their home. You still love on them. And you still want to have this relationship. And, and that's how God looks upon us. See, they, where they were born, Henry and Max, they were born into the family. And once you're in the family, you're in the family. Kind of sounds like a mafia thing. But once you're in the family, you're in the, you're in the family. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with God's family. Once you're in, yeah, you're, you're, you haven't been perfected, although God chooses to look at you just as if you've been perfected. In John chapter 1, it won't be on the board, but in chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now this is a, doesn't mean that somebody received him and you stand before God and say, now I got the right. This is a God-given right. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All humanity is not children of God. That's a misconception. They're a creation of God. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ are children of God. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ through faith have been justified and now are seen just as if they have never sinned, just as truly as the next time my daughter wants to bring my grandchildren over, I'll say, no problem, no problem whatsoever. To be saved, this is one who's been declared innocent in a court system and can never be retried for the same crime. There's no double dimity in God's kingdom. Once he declares you saved, you're saved, and you're saved forever. And there's nobody that can snatch you out of the hand of God. And you can bring up so many examples about Bob and Sam and Fred. You know, they made this commitment and then they walked away and they did this and that. I don't know about Bob, Sam, and Fred. I only know about me. I only know what God's spoken to me. I only know about Christ that was displayed to me and I realized the sinner that I was. I only know that when I received him by faith, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of me. I only know the conviction that I have that although, again, I'm far from a perfect person, but that I need to abide in Jesus Christ because it's when we abide in Jesus Christ that there's a surety of our salvation. You may not be sure of my salvation, but through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, I'm thoroughly convinced of my salvation. And I have the word of God to base that upon. I pray that you have the same surety in your life. As far as the Bob, Sams, and Freds, well, you don't really know if they were ever really saved because I'd have to question somebody who was born again, 
somebody of whom the Holy Spirit dwells inside, would they really be able to walk away from the Lord? I just look at somebody like that. They need to once again do the elementary things of Christ. <laughs> I got a new microphone, and I'm not used to it, so I have to keep pushing that back. The other night I was watching the Sonny and Cher show, and that's what Cher... <laughs> Hey, I'm never going to grow hair, so. Why were you watching the Sonny and Cher show, Pastor Mike? (laughs) That's a good question. We won't know until we're all in heaven. (laughs) Thirdly, thirdly, we have gone, because of justification, we have gone from being in bondage to obtaining freedom. Verse 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or tolerance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. The doctrine of redemption. From a Hebrew perspective, God made certain laws so that capitalism would not run rampant. A Jew, a Jew could redeem a family member or family property so that the integrity of the family and the property would remain as God's, but not as a possession of some other person. This is something that God instituted for that purpose, that the Jew would be reminded, you're all mine. It's this theme of the book of Ruth. From a Greek perspective, redemption, this is to pay the price for a slave with the intent of setting him free, that he could be brought back and have his life altered. I remember growing up in the 60s, you had, they didn't have leaders back in the 60s. I think they were courts, and I don't know what the smaller soda bottles were. If you brought the small soda bottle back, you could redeem it. You could, that which was headed for destruction, instead of being destroyed, that bottle, you could redeem it. You'd get a nickel for the little ones and a dime for the big ones. And as they were redeemed, they could be used again. And that's what God has done. He's redeemed us. He's redeemed us at a price, but he has redeemed us. And because he has redeemed us, we've been set free. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. I've been set free from human thought, human good ideas that could do absolutely nothing for mankind. I've been set free from all sort of foolishness, my own and the foolishness of others. And I am free in the kingdom of God. And if the Son sets you free, we are told, you will be free indeed. Again, verse 24, we were justified freely by his grace. Grace, grace is free, but make no mistake, it wasn't cheap. Mike had mentioned this verse earlier in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. Know, and again, when God tells you to know something, receive that into your heart. This is something that you can know without a doubt. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good. That's something that God wants you to embrace because there's going to be some pretty hard times. And here we're told right off, know, know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan all along, but was manifest or revealed in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory 
so that your faith and hope are in God. Know this, your faith and hope isn't in yourself. God didn't say, okay, you're saved, let's see if you can hang on to it. Let's see if you can hold on to it. The day that you're hired at a job, the boss has certain expectations. If you don't live up to those expectations, you're going to be fired. Nobody gets fired from God's kingdom. Why? Because you didn't earn your way in, and you don't have to maintain your way. You're kept by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But keep in mind, you were purchased at a horrible price. Jesus taking sin upon himself for our benefit. It was necessary. You need to see the magnitude of the love that God had, that he took sin upon himself so that you could come into the kingdom of heaven. And and that can be what Christianese thing, come into the kingdom of heaven so that you could have a personal relationship with God, that you could have fellowship with God. God desired that. God so wanted that that he gave his son. By its nature, the price of freedom is always blood. Remember as you sit in church, remember as you go out to lunch afterwards, remember as you enjoy your family today, men and women have died on foreign battlefields so that we can have that right. Blood was spilled on foreign beaches so that that we would be able to enjoy these things. But also remember this, as you sit in church, as you eat lunch, as you enjoy your family, Jesus died for your liberty as well. These are privileges that we have as members of the kingdom of God. Verse 25, speaking of Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Speaking of Christ, here is our propitiation. Propitiation is defined as a price paid to appease anger. Why were previously committed sins passed over? So that the the cross of Christ would stand out. God didn't just kill man as he disobeyed the law back in the Old Testament days. There was always working towards the the cross of Christ. It's called venial grace. Venial grace is the grace that God bestowed upon you that in an unsafe state, God kept you alive to the day of your salvation. I look at my father. He was... um, from what I remember, is 55, 56 when he died. God gave him 55, 56 years of grace. 56 years of grace. And even as I look back, I see the cancer was even the grace of God because it's what brought him to the cross of Christ. It was the grace of God, God's tolerance, God's <clears throat> forbearance that he saved him for that day that my dad could enter into God's kingdom. And it's an amazing thing when you look back. Those things that you can think are so hard, so difficult, maybe even so unfair. But God uses these things because we can know all things work together for the good. They're still hard. They still tear the the heart out of your chest. But God's doing this great work. He's doing this great work because he wants to have fellowship with the people that he has created. Fourthly, because of justification... We have gone from our unrighteousness to God's righteousness. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? Is it excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcision by faith 
the Jew, by faith, and the uncircumcised, or the Gentile, through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. How have we established the law? It showed me that I was a sinner, and again, it brought me to the point of my knees before the cross of Jesus Christ. It brought me to that day of my salvation. Why is it that we need God's righteousness? Why is it that those who've been justified have had the righteousness of God placed upon them? Well, just think of the day that you need to stand before a holy God. Do you want your righteousness or do you want God's righteousness? Well, since God is the judge, I think I'd rather have his righteousness upon me rather than my own righteousness. My own righteousness, even in the most perfect human righteousness that ever existed, it has holes, has little parts that have been left undone. The righteousness of God, well, he's the judge. He's put his righteousness upon me. And so if God would judge me as a sinner after putting his righteousness on, upon me, then that would make him a sinner. But we know that God's not a sinner. And he's put his perfect righteousness upon me. I can have perfect confidence because of that. Isaiah 45, 8, rain down you heavens from above and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. The essence of God's righteousness is perfection. That means it's flawless. That means what it's intended to accomplish, it is able to accomplish. And it's the great hope that we have. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then thirdly, God's righteousness is eternal. I mean, can you imagine? We had a TV, and we did what I owe. Dave Ramsey told us not to do it. I never do it. But when I sold the TV, I bought the plan, you know, the insurance plan in case it goes out. TV did really well for so many years. Finally, it went out a month after the plan expired. I know, that's what I thought, too. They know. They know what they're doing. There's a guy somewhere with a little switch. Plans up? Yeah, okay. Turn TV off. You don't have to go buy a new one. I don't have to worry. I don't have to check the expiration date on God's righteousness. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's forever. And what that means is when I stand before a holy God, it's available to me. But that means also that I am kept in the presence of God for all of eternity because his righteousness is going to prove effective forever. It's not going to wear off. It's not going to go away. And that being the case, I've got a great confidence in this. So let me ask you this. Considering yourself, for if you're a born-again believer here today, you'll just be reminded of the goodness of God. If you're somebody who's not and you're contemplating these things, one last thing to contemplate. What do you want to depend upon that day of your death? As you're being lowered into the ground, as you're slipping off into death. What is it that you want to depend upon? The accomplishments of God or your accomplishments? And you may even say today that you're a good person, but the Bible just told me there's none good. No, not one. Because good in the sight of God is defined as good as God and as good as God all the time. You fall short of the glory of God. But it's those who receive Jesus Christ by faith that we have this great confidence. 
And that, so that, that opens up the door to so many things and, and making it, excuse me, making it applicable to the season that we're in. This is how that dark Friday can be so good. It can be so good because the sins of all mankind were taken care of that day. Easter, Easter is not about a rabbit that lays eggs or all these other silly things that man in the flesh adds to that day in order to dilute that day. But I understand the magnitude of that day. That that day validated what happened upon the cross. And because of that, I've got joy eternal within my heart. And you do as well. Revelation, I'll close with this. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests. He saw us in our unsafe state and he loved us. He took us from our unsafe state and he washed us or he, or he set us free, he set us free from our sins. And even more than that, he gave us a prominent place in his kingdom. He made us as kings and priests forever. It's a glorious thing that God has done. If you're a born-again believer here today, rejoice in that. Learn to have confidence and strengthen that. If you're not, change is necessary because the nails are being hammered and one day you'll be lowered. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Father, for the way that you have guided, guided us into these, led us into these things. And as you have, I pray, Father, that we would be people who rejoice in your goodness. That, Father, this doctrine of justification wouldn't be some obscure theological term because it was never intended to be that. It was intended to be biblical truths that are to be grasped upon and to embrace. And so, Father, I just, before we leave, I just give this opportunity. If there's anybody here that has heard the hammering and understanding that they've tried with their own righteousness, but their own righteousness, it just caused more nails to be driven into that, into that lid. Maybe there's somebody here who feels like they're being lowered into the ground. And what must I do to change this situation? Is all you need to do is to believe on him. Belief is something that occurs within the, within the heart. But it is something to have, that is to have an outward manifestation, an, out, an outward revelation. And so if there's anybody here today, we'd be remiss if we close without giving the opportunity. And this is just simply so that you would know, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did and you've wandered away and you're just not sure, make your calling and election sure today. I'm just going to ask that wherever you're at, that you would raise your hand. And it's all I want to do is pray for you. We're not going to make a spectacle of you or, or anything else. But if you know, if God's speaking to you, that if today was the day that you were called, the day of your death, you'd know that you wouldn't be lifted back out of that ground. It would be eternity apart from God. If you want to change that, lift your hand. Again, I'm just going to acknowledge it. If you're in the overflow, you can lift it there. Is there anybody here today? Anybody at all? Make this thing sure within your heart that you would know that you're right with God. Anybody? Father, I'll claim to be right with you, and we thank you for that. And so, Father, may we see the responsibility that we have, the responsibility we have to reflect 
a life of a person who has been set free. Father, you have set us free, and you have set us free for your reasons and purposes. I pray, Father, that we would embrace these things. I pray that we would glorify you because of them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.